0: Well, welcome, everyone, to uh, this session, uh, which is titled, There is a Battle Raging, Are You Ready? And uh, I did include the passage I was going to cover when I submitted uh, the uh, talk, but um, they, they chose to leave that out, or maybe there wasn't enough room for it. So it's completely wide open what you think I'm going to say this morning, right? <laughs> Well, it will be from the scriptures, and while I will uh, mention some of the things that are going on in society right now briefly, we will be focusing on ephesians six ten through eighteen the armor of God that's the battle that's raging it's a spiritual battle, and it's showing up in various uh, parts of our society uh not only in this country but uh, around the world. But what is happening is uh, is clearly a battle uh, between, you know, Satan and believers, essentially. So uh, that is what we're going to cover this morning. I don't want anybody uh, here that, uh, if you had a choice, you wanted to go to another topic, you may do that. But... Um, Let us pray, and we'll dig in here. Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray uh, that you would be with us, that the Holy Spirit would help me to communicate your word, your powerful, all-sufficient, holy word, in such a way that it pierces the hearts of those who need to hear, and um, that if there's change that needs to take place, that uh, you would convict those uh, who need convicting, and that overall, you will be glorified. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we'll begin just with a few comments about What's going on in our culture, just to set the pretext. As our pastor has commented many, many times, um, preaching through Romans chapter 1, specifically verses 24 through 32, you know, our culture, our country, began the downward path that it's on right now in the radical 1960s when the sexual revolution took place and one of the things that uh, catapulted that was the invention of the pill which separated uh, procreation from marriage or at least the act leading to procreation. That led... um, The 1970s was filled with a unisex culture as well as a Supreme Court uh, decision uh, legalizing abortion. The 80s began the homosexual revolution that carried there from the LGBTQ and fill in the blank that keeps going. Culture, until today... The belief is that gender is fluid, and so whatever you feel like when you get up in the morning, that depends on what clothes you put on, whether you dress like a girl or whether you dress like a boy, is completely fluid. There's no reality, there's no, um, facts do not matter any longer. Things are based solely on your emotions. People have their truth, whether there's any facts to it or not. It's their truth. This nation, therefore, is under the wrath of God. God has given this nation over to a depraved, useless mind. And we're seeing the results of it. The most recent thing that's happening is an utter revolution going on in our country, thinly veiled with something called social justice, Black Lives Matter founders openly admit that their Marxist ideologies is what they're really pushing. And Marxism, by the way, wanted to eliminate God, wanted to eliminate religion. Self-confessed mentors... um, of the of of these people are former Weather Underground people that bombed police stations in the 1960s and then evaporated into the universities and have taught about three generations of our culture this anti-American Marxism. BLM states what they want to abolish: the nuclear family. In other words. The husband and wife and children, abolished. Police, prisons, abolished. They want this uh, Chaz or Chops or whatever it's called up in Seattle. That They want the entire country like that, where two black young kids, teenagers, were mowed down with 300 bullets. And no one could even investigate because the scene was so um, uh, molested by people that they couldn't even begin to uh figure out who did it they want to eliminate the fact that uh heterosexual is the normal uh this uh, movement has brought in every faction uh, that is essentially anti-god that you can imagine has brought in the the uh as i said the lgbtq community is is enveloped underneath this organization. And, of course, the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, president or whatever he calls himself in New York said that if we don't get what we want, we're just going to burn the entire system down. That's their goal. That's their goal. Now, um, if you want to read further on that, by the way, Uh, Soren Kern, some of you may remember him, a geopolitical analyst, uh, was here at Grace for some time. I think he's back in Washington now, Um, gatestoneinstitute.org. Look his name up. He has a great article on all of that, going into much more detail. But for this morning, we have to ask, is this unique? Is this unique? Let's think about... Ephesians, during the time that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians was the crossroads of civilization with four trade routes. So it was a metropolitan area with people coming and going. It could be Los Angeles, California. The center of worship was the fertility goddess... Artemis in the Greek, and Diana, and the Romans called her Diana. Her statue was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, an enormous statue at the top of a hill in, in Ephesians, and there were thousands of priests and cult prostitutes that served there. By the way, if you were a tradesperson then you didn't wor- worship at the uh, temple, of Artemis, you would have a very hard time finding a job. Christians were ostracized there because they didn't believe in the God that the community believed in. And that's coming to us today as well. The city was an asylum for fleeing criminals as we have our leaders uh, releasing everybody from prison. Uh, And they're not... I guess uh, uh, holding bail now is not, holding a person on a bail charge or, or is uh, not acceptable anymore. So I was told the other day that there's a, there's a gentleman here in Los Angeles that since January has been arrested nine times for grand theft auto, nine different cars. Of course, they arrest him and they take him to the court system and they release him immediately because they can't hold him on bail. Where do you think that's going to end up? The philosopher, Herodicolitus, said of the inhabitants of the city, they were fit only to be drowned, and that for this reason he could neither laugh nor smile because he lived amidst such terrible uncleanness. That's the context in which Paul wrote the Ephesians and ended his letter in chapter 6, 10 through 18, on the armor of God. He says, if you are a believer and you're living in this cesspool, Ephesians was very little different than what we're living in today. He says, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Now, let me read that passage for you. You can follow along if you'd like, or just listen, beginning in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. This is God's word. Scripture repeatedly calls the Christian life warfare. Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7 says he fought the good fight. Paul told Timothy to be a soldier who endures hardship, 2 Timothy 2.3. Our own pastor says the best way to define the Christian life is warfare. and we are in a continual struggle to uphold the truths of scripture. We as Christians want to be ready for battle. We don't want to be we don't we do not want the enemy to catch us off guard, to catch us unprepared or by surprise and cause devastating results in our Christian walk. So here in this letter, Paul begins by therefore, which of course points back to the previous chapters of this letter. His letter's pattern very similar to many of his others. The first three chapters are theology. He's explaining the gospel, explaining um, what is needed to become a Christian and how um, God's grace is uh, sufficient. And then in the last four chapters, he's talking about, you know, how to apply that. He's talking about our Christian walk. He mentions the Christian walk many times. And here, in these passages, he is finishing the book. Here's my last exhortation to you. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So the first step of successful waging a spiritual battle is to recognize our own weakness. To recognize we, in and of ourselves, are incapable of battling against the raging forces of the, Satan and his demons. Incapable. Our strength has to come from the Lord. The Lord's great strength, immeasurable is available to believers. And to try to fight the battle on our own would be foolishness, set up for failure. The strength that he calls for here is a strength that comes from outside of it, outside of us, and it is inherent in Christ. We need to be continually strengthened and empowered not of ourselves, but Christ, constant, ongoing, all-sufficient power and strength. Christ is always there for us to draw strength from through the Holy Spirit. We just need to tap into it, and we need to use it. Now, verse 11, he says, to put on the full armor of God. The first thing we need to understand about the believer's armor is that you need to have all of it? All of it. This means that all the pieces must be worn. You cannot leave anything off. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said God alone knows your enemy, and he knows exactly the provision that is essential to you if you are to continue standing. Every single part and portion of this armor is essential. And the first thing you have to learn is that you are not in a position to pick and choose. We need the armor in order to stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm is the key uh, term in this passage. It is used three times in verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14. Stand firm. Stand firm. Essentially, that's the command we're given. Uh, If a soldier was uh, in a battle and his commanding officer said, Hold this ground. Don't let the enemy come anywhere near or past or beyond here, that's essentially the command we're given. Hold firm. Stand firm. Against what? Against the schemes of the devil. And we know the devil prowls around like a lion, ready to devour and entrap believers in their sin and render them helpless and useless in the battle that is raging. Believers must never underestimate the devil because it can be devastating. Satan's schemes, by the way, are cunning They are deceitful, they are treacherous, and are with evil intent. The devil himself is a crafty foe, actively scheming against believers, looking for any chink in their armor, and he has had thousands of years to refine his techniques. He knows what works on people. He knows how to tempt and to cause believers to struggle in the battle. Verse 12, he says, For our struggle, or our wrestling, is not against flesh and blood. In other words, um, our battle is not against sinful people that are acting sinfully. Those should be our mission field. But our battle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know that it's possible to know exactly uh, what Paul was describing here, uh, but it is generally accepted that he is talking about general categories of demons in the first two uh, descriptions, and then also the darkness that takes place uh, on the earth with the wickedness uh, that the demons have. So let's take, just, just take a brief uh, examination of what the Scripture says goes on in the spiritual world that we are not able to see. Jude verse 9 says that Satan and Michael, who were both archangels before Satan fell, were fighting over the body of Moses. Now, we can only assume that Satan wanted to use Moses' body as some sort of an icon or something that he was going to have people worship, and Michael was uh, tasked with hiding his body from Satan and from anyone else who wanted to worship it. But nobody saw that battle. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 tells us that throughout time, Satan has been in heaven accusing the saints. He is in heaven accusing the saints, and it is at that time during the tribulation that he is thrown out of heaven and down to earth. We know that God gave Satan permission to attack Job, only because it's recorded in Scripture, Job never knew what was going on there. Jesus tells Peter to get behind me, Satan, when Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He's not talking about Peter being demon-possessed, by the way, but his what he desired to do, stop Christ from going to the cross, was against God's plan. The first John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The fact is that if you're not a believer, if you're an unbeliever... The entire world system is directed by um, Satan and his demons. John has mentioned a book uh, how uh, even Hitler was influenced by Tibetan monks that were uh, a part of his uh, program there and then disappeared shortly after he committed suicide The demonic realm is all around us, all around us, and it is affecting everyone who's not a believer is affected by it, and they don't realize it, of course. Scripture clearly talks about an unseen spiritual global conspiracy raging, involving demons in high places, and many people in earthly organizations are unwittingly participants. So then he answers, according to this, because of this, here's how you have to prepare yourself. Here's what you need to do. Therefore, having taken up the full armor of God. Now, what is the armor of God? We're given some examples in Isaiah. Isaiah 11.5 says of Christ, or pre-incarnate Christ there in Isaiah, All so righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and truth, uh, faithfulness the belt about his waist. Isaiah 52.7 says, How lovely are the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. Isaiah 59:17 says he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. So Paul here is pulling from Isaiah who is describing Christ and he is chained at this time to a Roman soldier in Rome writing this letter to Ephesians, knowing that everyone in the Roman Empire is quite familiar with the Roman soldier. And so he can use the illustration of a Roman soldier and his armor and put biblical principles to it. And that is exactly what he's doing here. He says, you need to put on this armor. Actually, earlier he said, you need to put on the armor. And in this verse 13, if, uh, the, the context says, you have already put on the armor, or having taken up the armor, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. The evil day. Since the fall until the rapture of the church, or actually until Christ returns and sets up his own kingdom, frankly, now, well beyond the rapture, but the, it'll, the, the rapture ends our struggle, is the evil day. The evil day begins at the fall and ends when Christ sets up his kingdom. So we are in the evil day, and we see it all around us. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. So the end of 13 and the beginning of 14, repeat stand firm twice. Again, this is a key term in this passage. This is a key command for believers. Do not give in to the world's system raging around you. Now, for a long time here in America, because the nation was founded on biblical principles, and many will argue that our founding fathers were deists and not believers, but they were using biblical principles for the laws and for uh, society that they were setting up, uh, the country has been blessed in that regard. But the more and more and more, and you can argue when it all started, you'd have to begin uh, in the 1940s, with the Scopes trial that introduced evolution into the schools, and again into the 60s, uh, we are moving further and further and further away from a biblical structure, a biblical uh, principles in which we live. Not to say that you know everyone is a believer. In fact, there are many, many people who believe. There are believers who aren't, but they're living under biblical principles, which God blesses. That. And the further we move away from that, the less the country will be blessed, the harder it will be for believers to live for Christ. Some of the rulings coming down out of the Supreme Court are going to make it very difficult on believers to maintain uh, biblical principles. So we are to stand firm. Stand firm. Having girded your loins with the truth. Talking about the belt of truth. Now this is the first piece of armor that the Roman soldier would put on, and it's essentially to tie up the loose ends of his tunic so that when he was in battle, nothing would get entangled. His tunic would not be entangled. But also it also is an anchor for the attachment of many other portions of his armor. The belt is the place to attach uh, the sword and the breastplate, specifically. Paul has in mind here someone committed to the truth, committed to the truths of Scripture, and they are ready to do battle Against the evil forces that are all around them and hold to the truth. All false doctrine, lies, half truths have to be fully rejected. And one of the sad parts about what's happening in our country is the churches in general have become so weak they are unprepared to battle against the likes of Black Lives Matter or social injustice uh, because they, as our pastor pointed out last week, they have taken up social issues and given up spiritual issues. They have become completely inept. Many Christians lose battles because they are apathetic about the truth. They are uncommitted to the truth. An attitude of genuine commitment to the truth is foundational in victory. Truth is only found in the Scriptures, and it will be twisted, and it will be muted, and it will be in every way aligned in the culture, more and more so as we go on. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness... The breastplate of the Roman soldier was covering the vital organs, much like a a bulletproof vest. It had the same function uh, as uh, our soldiers wear today. The breastplate protected the heart and the bowels, if you will, and those symbolically in the Jewish uh, tradition would represent the mind and the emotions The heart would represent the mind, the bowels, the emotions. Satan feeds your mind with emotions of worldliness, lies, perversions of the truth, immorality, false doctrine, untruths, half-truths, apathy. So our minds can easily be polluted by the culture around us if we're not committed to the truth. He wants to entertain you with sinful things on all forms of electronic media. Being, um, you see, everyone walking around today, including myself, staring at their phones. So they're disconnected from the world around them. They're getting everything from their phones. They commute. I've seen, I've seen some of our young people on campus here standing next to one another texting each other. Something's missing there, right? The culture is anti-God. The culture is... The electronic media is changing people's thinking and putting an argument together that if you're not um, committed to the truth can easily be miscommunicated, can easily be misconstrued. It also, by the way... As our pastor recently announced that our culture is swimming in pornography. Swimming. And that, of course, confuses everything. Confuses your emotions. Confuses your desires. And your desire for affections to sinful things. Easily entrapment. It is a predator it is predatory. You do not have to be looking for these things. It is predatory. God has provided the breastplate of righteousness to protect your mind and emotions. So what does that mean? The righteousness comes from living a disciplined Christian life by having a sanctifying relationship with God through the Holy Spirit and Christ's sacrifice. Sanctifying, meaning that you are in the word, you are in prayer, you are confessing your sins, you are walking in the Spirit. Without this breastplate of the holy life, you will become vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the Roman soldier had shoes that would allow them to march uh, 20 miles a day or more, would, would have um, little spikes that would allow them to stand firm in hand-to-hand combat, standing firm in the battlefield. Paul pictures this Roman soldier being able to stand his ground based upon his shoes. The Christian shoes are the gospel of peace. Because we have made peace with God... He will give us the power to stand against Satan's schemes. We have to firmly hold to the promises of God, and we can stand with confidence. Whatever Satan throws at us, we should not fear. We also have the gospel to share, right? But another thing that's happening in our culture is fear. There is a lot of fear uh, going on. I'm not discounting uh, at all the reality of this virus that is going through. I, I do say that more and more evidence is coming out that it's been overblown. But what I do say is a believer should not fear death. A believer should understand that we are sojourning through here. We are passing through. This is not our life. I think too many Christians have gotten so comfortable with the life in America, with the, with the uh, privileges that we have been given because of the way the country was started, that we're not looking forward to being with him in heaven We're too comfortable here. Most believers in the world right now are under persecution. Believers in China, believers in North Korea, believers in any Arab country in the world, all being persecuted, all looking forward to being in heaven rather than being here. I'm fearful that too many of us are comfortable being here and not really looking forward to being in heaven. Anyway, I'm not, I am not in any way saying we shouldn't uh, protect ourselves, uh, take precautions, arm ourselves with the truth of uh, the many studies coming out. But what I am saying is, We should not be fearful of death. We should not be fearful of death. Next, verse 16, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith. Now, there are several different sizes and types of shields that the Roman soldier would have. This one is describing a full body shield, full body shield. This would be the soldiers that are on the front lines against the attacking enemy and they are to protect the soldier from the flaming missiles, the flaming missiles of the enemy. Proverbs 30, verse 5 through 6 says, Every word of God is tested. It is a shield to those who take refuge in him. As long as you have faith in God and you believe that God is sovereignly in control of all things, your shield is up. When you believe the lies of Satan, that something is beyond God's control, that you have to take matters into your own hands, that God is unable to help you, Your shield is down. Your shield is down. You're vulnerable. Satan's darts are coming right at you with no protection whatsoever. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, in context, the Roman soldiers uh, would uh, have arrows, the archers would put cotton or some material on the end and dip it into pitch and light it on fire before they sent the arrow towards the enemy and that would cause fires off obviously around the soldiers or if it hit a soldier would cause his uh, perhaps his tunic to catch on fire when the arrow hit its target the pitch would splatter and the flames, the fire, would spread. Satan's arrows, his fiery arrows, are impurity, selfishness, doubt, fear, disappointment, lust, greed, vanity, and covetousness does that not describe our current culture? I mentioned the impurity before. We have a culture of, um, that worships itself, that feels they lack uh, self-confidence. We have a culture that doubts God, that is fearful of just about everything, fearful of the American way of life taken away from them, fearful of viruses, fearful, fearful, fearful. Disappointment is a big one. You know, we get expectations in our life. We, Again, we live in a culture where the majority of parents are no longer disciplining their children and giving them everything they want. So they grow up to be adults they cannot handle anything that's opposed to their thinking. They cannot listen to an opposing view. They cannot accept a, a, a different outcome than what they want. But Christians are not um, they' are not protected from becoming disappointed in life, even potentially with Christian things. Things didn't turn out the way they want. Their life hasn't turned out the way they want. They're not in life where they want to be. Maybe they lust for things. Marriage. uh, Owning a home. A better job. We become greedy. Uh, We want what others have. Vanity, vanity is rampant in society. I mean, humbleness is considered almost a disease. And covetousness, covetousness. These are all temptations of the devil that come flying at the Christian who needs to have his shield up or he will become useless. By the way, these temptations, all of them that I have mentioned, can be summed up in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In one sense, the devil only has those three things that he continues to throw at us. He just creates different ways of doing it and more effective ways, and he has been perfecting it over years and years and years. Satan literally bombards the believer with the fiery missiles of seduction, tempted to do evil and render the believer useless for God. And take up the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier would never go into battle without his helmet on, and part of the reason for that, or or the reason for that, is to protect his head, obviously from arrows that are coming and what's called the broad sword, a long three to four foot long sword that would be wielded by the enemy that could even be put over the top of the shield, come down on his head. Satan's broadsword is so often discouragement and doubt. You know, we fall into becoming useless for God when we doubt God or when we become discouraged with where God has us in our life. So often our expectations are up here, and God has us here, and this is disappointment. See, until we we lower our expectations to where God has us and recognize that he is sovereignly in control, and this is where he has us, and he has something to learn from this, there's discouragement. There's disappointment. There's doubt. Discouragement with what's happening in our country. And the world, it's discouraging. Don't get me wrong. It is very discouraging what's happening. God is allowing it to happen. God is allowing it to happen because we as a country have rejected him for decades. Decades and decades. And he has turned us over, the country that is, to a reprobate and useless mind. But we really should not be concerned about the future of the world because we know that God is going to destroy it. He's going to burn it up. And he's going to create a new one. So doubting God that he is on the throne and in control of all these things and, and the history is turning out exactly the way he has planned it from the beginning, then you are not putting on your helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Essentially, it is attached to the fact that you are a citizen of heaven and no one can take that away from you. They can take your life, they can take your prosperity, they can take... A lot of things away from you, they cannot take away your eternal reward in heaven, free from sin and with the Lord forever. So let me ask you, how much time do you spend watching the news, scouring the Internet for the latest political propaganda, ingesting lies, the fear-mongering that's going on, about this virus. I may just remind you, by the way, in the 1990s of the AIDS virus. Do you remember the AIDS virus you could supposedly catch off of a toilet seat? That If you went swimming in the ocean where somebody had just got out who had AIDS, you could catch it. I mean, there was fear, 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 throwing all that stuff out. Or Y2K, Fear, fear, fear. How much time do you spend fearing those things compared to spending time with God in His Word and in prayer, relying on Him, recognizing He is in control, nothing is happening outside of His control, this is all planned. And things will get worse as the day draws near. But we will be raptured before um, the worst of it takes place, so we can be assured of that. There are countless ways to be discouraged in life. Countless but by putting on the helmet of your eternal salvation and remembering the great victory that is to come, placing our hopes and our dreams on being with the Lord in heaven, we can keep our helmet of salvation on, on. We should remember 1 John 3, 2 says that we will be like Christ one day. What a glorious thing to think about away from our sin, with Christ, enjoying him forever. John 4.3 says, we will be with him forever. Revelation 21.4 says, we are bound for heaven where God shall wipe away every tear. This life is full of discouragements, it's full of evil, it's full of wickedness, it's full of death, it's full of disease, It's full of sin. We need to have a heavenly hope. We need to have a heavenly perspective. We need to remember that we are citizens of heaven and not citizens of the world. Don't let the enemy discourage you and take away the hope that helps you persevere. Persevere through the discouragement, through the trial, through the endless ways in which we can become discouraged. And never let the enemy cause you to doubt God. Satan wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt his word. He wants you to doubt his power. He wants you to doubt your own salvation. He is in heaven standing before the throne of God accusing the saints. But he is not there without God allowing it. You know, we are not defenseless. We are not defenseless. Everything we've talked about so far has been offensive. Offensive. The last piece of armor, the word, the uh, word of God, or the sword of the Spirit, as it's called, is both offensive and defensive. The sword is not the broadsword that we discussed earlier, the three or four foot long sword, but a dagger, typically six to eight inches, six to 18 inches long. And it was used in hand-to-hand combat, hand-to-hand, when you are wrestling with the devil. And I'm not saying the devil himself, but you understand the world system, the demonic forces, which are all around us, by the way. I mean, I don't think in some ways, I don't think the church talks enough about demonic forces that can be around us. How many of these mass murders um, in schools or the deranged young man who walked into a prayer meeting and killed everybody will later say, well, there were voices in my head saying, kill, 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 where do you think that voice came from? They have turned themselves over. People who are, and and this is not, I think it's more common in countries that are less Christianized, but I became aware of a Satanic cult is the only way it can be described right here in Los Angeles where a group of people got together and ingested some root from Brazil which caused hallucinations and had a shaman uh, and essentially a weekend orgy, totally uh, satanic, going to worship Satan right here in Los Angeles. So how do we battle against that? As I said, this is, a, this is for hand-to-hand combat, a little dagger. The sword was routinely used by soldiers in hand-to-hand combat and required a more precise and effective use than the broadsword, of course. Let's think about how Jesus responded to Satan's temptation in the wilderness. What did he do? He accurately quoted Satan's scripture, the same scriptures that Satan had twisted. Satan comes as an angel of light, and yet he is of darkness. we will often try to use scripture, and believers who aren't uh, sufficiently trained in doctrine can easily be can easily uh, be seduced by a twist of Scripture. Each temptation that Satan brought to him, Christ answered with a quotation from Scripture. Memorizing Scripture, then, having Scripture in your mind that you can pull up in the battle, is essential. This is the Word of God. And if the Holy Spirit comes to your mind in the midst of a battle and can only find Genesis one one and John three sixteen, then you're severely limited. You don't have enough scripture. You're not relying on the scripture to help you battle sin. And we're going to finish with verse 18, and I'm not nearly going to be able to say enough about it. It's so worthy of an entire message in and of itself. But verse 18 says, "With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Where does our power come from? It comes from God. Comes to us through the Holy Spirit upon Christ's payment for sin and empowering us. And we activate it through prayer. The requirement to stand firm can only be made ready with constant and earnest prayer. Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender new nerve that moves the hand of God's omnipotence. We access the power of God. At the beginning of our message, it said, stand firm in the Lord. You access that power in the Lord through your personal relationship with him, which is expressed through prayer. Take your doubts take your discouragements, take those things that are you're struggling with in life and take them to the foot of the cross in prayer and be prepared for the battle that is about us. Because it's not going to simmer down anytime soon. It's going to rage more and more, harder and harder as the day draws near. Let's pray. Father, as we've come to your word this morning and taken into context what's happening around us today, and pray that the word of God that you have given to us through the apostle Paul in the letter written to the Ephesians under what could be described even worse circumstances in a worldly manner, that we would take to heart the pieces of armor that we need to put on in a spiritual sense to do battle against the wicked forces of this world. And that we recognize the battle is raging in a spiritual sense are all around us in ways we cannot see and will not know perhaps until we get to heaven. But we understand you are sovereign. You are in complete control. There is nothing that takes place that you have not permitted or allowed or ordained or planned. We know from your word that things will get worse before the rapture, before the tribulation, before the return of Christ. And this is what we desire to see happen, the return of Christ. And in the meantime, we are to stand firm so that we have the gospel to share that we can intervene with some of these people that have been influenced by the satanic forces around them and that you might open their eyes with the gospel of the Christ and allow us to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return. We pray in Christ's name, amen.